as I look into the Bible, into the Word of God, Jesus is the hero, obviously. Jesus is the hero of any scene, of every setting, of everyone's life. But as I look into the Word of God, I find it amazing that he's not one of these Old Testament prophet guys when he appeared in flesh on earth, as Jeremy mentioned earlier. He's not one of these weird guys who came out of nowhere, out of the desert, and you don't know his mom, you don't know his dad, you know where he came from, no beginning. There's a, a guy in the Old Testament named Melchizedek. It's out of Genesis 14, and Abraham, the father of our faith, the scripture calls him, met this weird, strange dude somewhere out in, in the desert area, and Melchizedek, the scripture says he didn't have any beginning, didn't have any end, nobody knew where he came from, he was just a really strange guy who just appeared, and theologians will tell you actually Melchizedek was type, a type of Jesus in the Old Testament, but that's not the way Jesus came. Our Father in heaven decided to plant his very own son, not on the corner of a desert in isolation, but our Father in heaven chose to plant his beautiful, precious son in the midst of a family, that he would understand what family is like, family dynamics, brothers, sisters, all those sibling rivalries, all the challenges of growing up and listening to mom's ideas when you know mom just doesn't get it. Or, Dad, why, why do you have to speak like that? I, I'm listening. I'm, I'm going to get it done. Just the Father in heaven sent Jesus into a family. And when Jesus came and when he turned 30 and he grew up, his message was totally different than the Pharisees, the religious people of the world. Jesus' message was all about, if you read through the New Testament, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And when he switched course and taught on something else, it was all about the kingdom of heaven. That was his almost singular message. And Jesus came with an interest. He wanted the world to know what his dad in heaven was like. And the Pharisees were teaching things from the Older Testament. They were doing the best they could. But Jesus said, the religious people say that God is like this, but I want you to understand heaven is like this. They say this, rules, regulations, traditions, wash your hands so many times, but I want you to know what my dad in heaven is like. I want you to understand. But I find it fascinating that Jesus was born into a family. If we could put up the first scripture, it's out of Matthew chapter 13. This is what the Bible says about Jesus. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. Everybody say hometown. 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 He had a home. It was a town. He had a place. And he, Jesus, began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? We know this kid. Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Jesus came in a family setting. He was planted in a family setting. He can relate to us. So we, as our own life, we can think our family. Anybody have a weird family? Okay, if you don't, you might be. 
that ingredient. If everyone around you is normal, it might be you. But Jesus came with an agenda and to family. He came to show his family, the community of Israel, that family, what his dad was really like. He wanted them to know, my dad isn't angry. He's not mad. He's not judgmental and harsh. I want you to know, my dad is amazing. He loves you. He's, he's caring. He's compassionate. He's gracious. And one of his disciples, a guy named Philip, in John 14, he heard so much, Philip and all the disciples, about dad, his father. So at one point, Philip said this out of John 14, 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus said, I want you to know, you see me as kind, compassionate, healing, a good, wonderful, amazing person. That's what my dad in heaven is not. He's not angry. He's not mean. He's not put your toe in the water and see if it's good or bad today, harsh or gracious. He said, I want you to know what my dad is like. I want you to know his heart. He's touchable. He's knowable. He's warm. He's embracing. He calls you close. He doesn't have a checklist. You know, like Santa Claus. You've either been naughty or nice. You get cold or a present. That's not the way my dad is. He's loving and warm and embracing. And everywhere Jesus went, that's what he took with him. I want you to know what my dad is like. If you wonder what the Father in heaven is like, look at me. So whether it's a woman caught in the midst of adultery, he doesn't pick up the rock and stone her. He shows compassion to her and mercy and grace and kindness. Lepers, everybody's running from the leper's disease. And the lepers themselves have to yell, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine the life? And Jesus said, no, I want you to understand something. I'll touch you. I want you to know what my dad in heaven is like. He actually cares. and He's kind. And he's gentle. And he's merciful. And the Pharisees had no concept of father in heaven like that. No concept. And they hated Jesus because of it. He's not like that. Jesus said, no, my dad in heaven is that way. I want you to know what family looks like there, because I'm going to express it to you here. Jesus is amazing, was amazing. In Ephesians 2.19, the Apostle Paul wrote this, consequently, because of, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, members of God's own family. What an amazing concept. And Jesus came. He said, I want you to know we're the same. Same heartbeat, same kindness. And part of Jesus' mission was to start a family on earth. And he called it the church. There was nothing like that before. But Jesus said, I'm going to start a family on earth. It's earthly. But it's the people of God together, living life together. 
And I'm going to plant people into this church that they would find meaning. They would find reason. They would find life. The church is Jesus' design. The church is very similar in, in many ways. How many people are, are married in here? Are you married? You're willing to admit it. See, marriage is an earthly institution. There will be no marriage in heaven. The scripture clearly talks about that, which is really sad to me because I really, really like my wife. She's amazing. And the thought of me being without her forever, that's not a happy thought. I know some people are like, yes, but not me. I mean, you would never do that. Them, those other people at first congregation of other place. But marriage is a, an earthly institution. And when we go to heaven, we'll be like the angels. The church is the same way. It's an earthly institution that we would find meaning and expression. When we go to heaven, there won't be, we'll be family with him. It's earthly. It's temporal, like marriage. But our Father in heaven says, I want you to understand what heaven's like. And I'm going to place the lonely in family. I'm going to find where people don't fit in the world. They have no expression. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're disappointed. And the Father says, I'm going to set up an earthly institution called the church. I'm going to call it my family. And I'm going to put the lonely in it, that they would find and experience and feel heaven. See, the beautiful thing is, in heaven there is a family. And it's always been the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's beautiful, and it's an amazing. And the Father said, Jesus, I want you to take this that we have in heaven, and I want you to bring it to earth, that you'll find out what family should look like, how it should act. It's deference. When you read the Bible, it's absolutely amazing. The Father says, behold my son. I am well pleased with him. Listen to him. He doesn't go, hey, Junior, remember, I'm still in charge. I'm dad, I'll always be dad, so mind your manners. And make sure you tell them about me. Do good, not bad. But every time we hear the Father's voice in heaven, he's commending the Son. James, John, Peter, they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Elijah and Moses appear. And Peter starts babbling on, oh, should I build everybody a hut? And the Father says from heaven, shh, Listen to my son. And there seems to be this circle of beautiful things. The father is always deferring to the son. The son is always deferring to the Holy Spirit. Jesus walked the earth, and he's speaking to his disciples. He said, it's better for you if I go. Because if I go, Holy Spirit will come, and you need him. Can you imagine a disciple and Jesus, you're walking with him, and he says, it's better if I go. He's like, no, 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 go, go. Please don't go. And he says, no. It'll be better for you if I do go, because if I go, Holy Spirit comes. You'll need him. You'll want him. But Holy Spirit doesn't come and say, I'm in charge now. It's about time. My show. The scripture says Holy Spirit only comes and he talks about Jesus. It reminds the disciples of all things that Jesus taught him. So you have this sweet society, as it were, this sweet family, where the fathers, listen to my son, the son's like, listen to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, it's all about Father. It's all about Jesus. Let me remind you about all the things that they're saying. And there's this 
beautiful relationship in heaven. And Jesus came that we would understand that's his desire on earth, that there's a deference, that there's a, a, a way of treating one another, that it's not about me. As hard as that is to understand, because I'm really important. I like me most of the time. He says, that's not how you're supposed to live your life, Tom. It's not about you. It's about how you're going to treat other people. And so often in the church, we see things, and, and it's like, Lord, help me. Help me understand how I'm supposed to behave, how I'm supposed to act. How many people in here? Don't raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. There will always be people who raise their hands. You own a business. You either did or do and you're responsible for people. Or you work in a corporation. And I find as an American, it's such a challenge to adjust my thinking. Because so many people, if you own a business, you work for a large company, you want to treat the church like a business. Your concept is, if the church would just apply some business principles, we could make this thing just go. Church is so messy. Why? Because it's full of you. And there needs to be hierarchy. There needs to be top to bottom. I'm a CEO. I'm in charge. Just do what you're told. And that's not what Jesus came and did. He didn't set up heaven's corporation. He came and set up a family called the church of Jesus Christ. But as Americans in particular, it's so difficult because our concept of what church could look like, should look like, maybe even does look like, is corporate, a business. And I've had businessmen over the years challenge me and say, Tom, the church is a business. It's a, there's, you guys remember a movie a long time ago with Whoopi Goldberg and she was like on the run and she played a nurse? I'm sorry, a nun, sorry. <laughs> I've never been either one of them, I don't know. It's one of those N-words. But she played a nun, do you remember the movie, some of you? And she was talking to you, she's challenging the church, hey, we got to put rear ends in the seats, let's, this is a business, let's make this thing hop. And I find as Christians, sometimes we can have the same concept. Church is a business. It's a corporation. It's higher and fire. Let's get this thing going. And Jesus said, no, the church is a family. It's family dynamics. And it's totally different. But it's so much of a challenge if you've never... All right, here's an example. We tend to approach things as Americans. Is there anyone here not an American besides Fee? Oh, that's right, Jeremy. Oh, look, we've got... Yeah, you are an American with an awkward accent. <laughs> not, not awkward in a bad way. Awkward in a good way. But most of us in the room, maybe six or seven, you were born somewhere else, you're from somewhere else, and you probably don't approach things, life, like an American. I've had the privilege of living overseas three different times in my life. And you see the United States, you see the world, you see all kinds of things, family, from a different perspective. And we're not going to talk about this morning because it's really different values. But I, I'm not, most of us are not guilty because we see the church as Americans or Western. But it's the only paradigm from which we see. But if you live somewhere else, you look at something, you can look at things differently, not as an American. And I find so many Americans, they, 
look at the church from an American mindset, from their background, their family. This, sum, this last summer, my wife and I went to the St. Louis Zoo. Anybody ever been to the St. Louis Zoo? It's an awesome zoo. It's actually free. We like that. For Christmas, we always send our family up here in Chicago. Like It's the Brookfield Zoo. We buy them a pass. It's thousands of dollars. The St. Louis is view. It's, it's just really, it's free. We like that. So this summer, my wife and I went to the zoo, and I've been to the zoo a hundred times in my life. It's, it's, it's amazing. I know where the zoo is. The elephants are over there. Big cat country is over there. The dolphins and porpoises, the monkey house. I know the layout. And this summer, as we were leaving, we, and we might have a slide of this, we're walking up to the front of the zoo, and I saw a sign. And I've seen the sign hundreds of times, and I started walking towards it. it what does it say? Zoo exit. Exit. And from where I was standing, I started walking towards it, and my wife stopped me and said, that's not the exit. I'm like, uh, hello? That's an exit. She said, I'm telling you, it's not the exit. A little bit like that. And I'm like, would you like to make a wager? She said, fine. So we walked. That was my vantage point. That's what I saw. And we just walked just three feet to the right, and then I saw something else. (laughs) Ow. But I was so clear what it looked like from my vantage point. It says zoo exit. Until I just adjust myself just slightly, and I see something totally different. Just from a slightly different vantage point, I see accurately. And I'd just like to challenge one, two, three, five people, 50 people this morning, that possibly what we think we see so clearly, maybe a slight heavenly adjustment to see the family of God slightly differently. It's not a business. It's not a corporation. It's made up of people and a heavenly values, heavenly design. It's so different than earth. And as I was so confident, I saw it so clearly, I just needed to adjust. See, family and business are so different because family is about people. Family is about feelings. Family is about deferring what I want for someone else. It's about raising up those people around me that my children would go way past me. Self-sacrifice. It's not about performance. It's not about doing better and proving better. And in the family, it's not about titles. Though my eldest child would tell you different. She says, I'm the firstborn. I have all rights. She's a girl. She talks like her mother. But family, it's about embracing and encouraging, loving, forgiving, being compassionate, kindness. Family's beautiful. It's all about heart. But the corporate world is not. When push comes to shove, I'm the one that deserves the raise. I'm the one that deserves the promotion. I've got a title, you see, and if I have a title and you don't, that's really cool. Because you get to do what I tell you to do. And if you don't, there's the door. And so often, people come into church and they expect the same dynamics in church. It's all about performance. It's all about appearance. It's all about how you look. And Jesus says, no, 
It couldn't be more different. In 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 17, there's a wonderful man named David. And the Sa Samuel, the prophet, came, and he's looking for the next king. And there's a great guy, great guy, great guy, muscles, stature, huge intelligence. He says, no, 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 none of these guys. And the scripture says, I'm not interested in the outward appearance. I'm not interested in what you look like. I'm interested in your heart. And the church is all about heart. It's all about your success and not mine. And if I have to diminish, if I have to get passed by for something, that's to your benefit. That's what I'm interested in. I remember the time it was 2006, 2007, and my wife and I, we had pastored here for 10 years with Dan and Fee. And I knew, and I won't describe the setting, but it was, I just felt the Lord challenge me, Tom, it's time for you and Randy to move on. So that this wonderful, amazing couple and all the people are going to follow after them won't stand in your shadow. It's time for you to leave Chicago and go somewhere else. I wish he'd pick somewhere besides St. Louis. <laughs> but we love Danafi. We love Danafi. They're dear friends. We're with Jeremy and Diana, the Washkos, all the people that we know here. But it was thrilling, painful, and yet thrilling to move and see this amazing couple rise up and know that they're going to be nation changers. It was easy for us to get out of the way of them so that they could become fully who they are. Is that the DNA that's in this church still? Because it's in us. It's, I know it's in the leadership here. Are there people doing things that you'd like to be doing? I would like to lead worship. No one who knows me wants me to lead worship. I'd like to play on the keyboard. People who know me would rather me not play the keyboard. But in the church, it's, so, it's such a challenge at times because we can view it and walk into it. Okay, what's the hierarchy? Who's in charge? Who do I have to listen to? And it's such a pain for me to hear because what happens in the church in St. Louis is people walk into the church and they, they want to know what, and they call me pastor. I don't like that. I really don't. I'm, my name's Tom. I'll, I don't call you Nurse Ratchet or Teacher Joe. Nurse Ratchet, that's not, that's a bad nurse. If you're older, don't worry about it. But we don't call people by their titles or their function. It's Bob, it's Susan, it's Joan. And in the church, sometimes we walk in and say, oh, hi, Pastor. No, I'm Tom. Well, you're Pastor. I am, and it's just another how we view church, how we view, it's corporate. You have a title, you have a function, I know, but I'm Tom. She, my wife, she, I think at home she'd like to be called first lady, <laughs> but we choose not to. But what's your concept of family? What's your concept of corporate America inside the church? It can be such a challenge, such an adjustment, and yet Jesus didn't come like that. He came to show the way up is down. Mark 10.45 says this. You don't have the scripture for it. It says, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life a ransom for many. 
Jesus said, I want you to know what it looks like to be in the family. It's that Joan would be successful, that Joan would be blessed. What does Joan do? Well, Joan's loved by Jesus, and she's really important. She's really significant. Was she like a deacon or a deaconess? Does she have a title? Why should I listen to Joan? Because Joan can hear just as much and as well as the pastor can, or the pastor's wife, or the elders. In this church, it's about growing healthy people. It's about making people successful and laying my life down for people, because that's what Jesus did. He's only going to be here 33 years. He's going to turn the whole thing over to a bunch of teenagers. Crazy. Why would you do that? Would you like to turn your household and your business over to a bunch of teenagers? I think not. Any teenagers? I'm sorry. Yes. Stinky Lent boys. Just quoting. I was listening. But when we come into the church, what expectations do we have? How do we see? What paradigms am I looking through? Do I see hierarchy? Do I see bosses and employees, important people and not important people? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The one that you think is the most unseemly, it's 1 Corinthians 12, the, the lowest, that's the one that I put the most special favor upon. That's the one that I highlight. That's the one that my eye is towards. In the story in the New Testament, Jesus is watching people put all their money into the treasuries, and the rich people are dumping fabulous amounts of money into it. And he sees a little or a widow come up, and she puts in two copper coins. He says, that lady has given everything. That's the extravagant giver. That's the generous. Why? Because he's looking at the heart. And in this church, the DNA of this house is we love people, and we love them really, really well. And Jesus has planted us here for your benefit that you might be successful. It's a total opposite, maybe of some church experience that you've had in the past, where it's all about the leadership and expressing their vision and expressing their burden. But I, what we want to know as leaders, what's your burden? What's your vision? What's your dream? How can we make you successful? How can we come behind you? Because that's family. That's what I, I my wife and I have four children. I didn't birth all of them. And I didn't use any anesthesia either. But I want my kids to go way past me. How can I make them great? How can I divest myself of my wealth and put it into you so that you can run a race and go way past your mom and I? That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did. He laid down his glory. He set aside everything that was beautiful about him in heaven. That he would come and humble himself to live for people who were ungrateful and ultimately murdered him. That's the kind of leader he is. That's the kind of family he started and instituted. And I think, Jesus, help me. So often family is a really challenging word. For me, when I think of the word family, it doesn't bring safe connotations to mind. It's like some, sometimes when you talk to people about the Father in heaven, and they uh, immediately have awkward feelings on the inside because their father was... Uh, an addict, or beat them, or an alcoholic. And so when you mention father, you have all these immediate thoughts that father isn't a safe word, because all I knew was the end of a belt, or the end of a knuckle. And for me in my upbringing, family wasn't a safe word. It wasn't a good word. 
I was four years old when my mother walked out of our family. We were living overseas at the time. And I'm four years old. I don't have a clue. I just want to know where my Lincoln logs and toys are. But my mom walked out and proceeded to live her own life and chase after men her whole life to this day. She ended up being married nine times. It's my birth mother. She had many, many, many more boyfriends, many live-ins. But all I knew was family wasn't safe growing up. And I had all these amazing insecurities and fears on the inside of me because of how my birth mother, my family, kind of disintegrated. And as a little kid, you don't know any different. You just assume somehow it was all your fault. And so when I walked into a church at the age of 18, having no church background, and they started talking about family, that was not a good word to me. It wasn't a safe word. Who's going to leave? What's going to happen? It's competitive. It's, they're going to walk out at some point, so let's not do family. Let's just have friends, but not family. Family's not a safe word. But Jesus came that we would know what that family looks like. That he put the DNA of heaven where it's deferring, it's deferential, it's sacrificial. It's all about the other person. And bring that sweet family into this family, me. That I would live towards my wife in a sacrificial, loving manner. That I would experience that in this family. It's heaven's DNA in me expressed in the Kyle family, expressed in you. Family DNA can be so beautiful. Three months ago, my youngest son, he's 24, his name's Andrew, he's amazing. He has DNA flaw inside of him, like me, probably from me. My son's car broke down and our mechanic had retired, retired at the beginning of the year, so we went to a new, a new um, mechanic. And it was the third time my son had been to this mechanic. My eldest daughter had been to this mechanic twice, just up the street from us. And my son came home, and he was going to go pick up his car, and he was very, very angry on the phone because the bill was three times what it was supposed to be, what, he told, what he's told it was going to be. So I told my son, I'm going to go up to the mechanic, to the shop with you, and I did. Walked up there. And I told my son, just listen. Don't say anything. Don't shake your head. Don't disagree, whatever happens. So I talked to the mechanic, and after about 15 minutes, we came to the conclusion that they had done wrong. They had messed up the thing. We're still going to have to pay 1200 bucks. There was no reduction. But we just set it up as an ongoing relationship that we expect honesty and integrity. That's what we'll give you. You give that to us. And it just ended very peacefully and kindly, minus 1200 bucks. And I walked over to the cashier who was around the corner to pay the $1,200 for my son because he didn't have the cash. And I walked up and I said, hi, my name's Tom Collin, you pay my bill. And she looked up at me and she said, oh. She says, you're new here, you're new customers to this business. I said, yes, we are. She said, your daughter Kelly and your son Andrew, they've been here a few times. I said, way too many times. They said, can I just say something to you? Your children are the most polite, well-mannered children I've ever seen in my entire life. I wish my kids were like your kids. They're so polite. Which meant everything to me because in my family growing up, 
Manners were everything. My dad was a military Air Force drill sergeant. And it was all about manners. It was all about kindness. We weren't a Christian family, but my dad taught me it's all about how you treat people, how you react to people. And I remember I was five years old and my stepmother asked me to bring the can of lemon pledge on the TV into the kitchen. And I just said one word, why? My dad came over and he taught me why. (laughs) The family I was raised in, we never, ever, ever went to church, ever. But my father taught me how to treat a woman with respect. My mom and dad, my stepmom and dad were married some 35, almost 40 years. And in that time, I never heard my father ever disrespect my mother. Not once. I never heard them argue one time. These are non-Christians. They may have been aliens. (laughs) But I never heard my dad disrespect my mother. I never heard my mother yell at my father. Not one time, ever. But what my father taught me how to do is to This is what it looks like to love a woman, to be kind. This is what family can look like, peaceful. He taught me self-control is possible. If my wife were here and she were testifying, she would tell you one thing that we value in our family is how we speak to one another, how we treat one another, because it's family. It's all about loving one another. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. My dad gave me so many different things in life. And I value them so much. But as I look, I think, Lord, help me. That the paradigm I see is the Kyle family, Western society, American. And Father, I want to see your heavenly perspective. When a, a lady walks into our church in St. Louis, how was she treated? How was she made to feel inside the family of God? She made to feel like she's special, like she's unique. I think, Father, help me to love these people. What does this church family look like to you? Would be one question. I'm going to end in just a minute. Is family safe to you? Have you found your place? Have you been planted into a family? And this is not a, a plea this morning for you to call this your church if you're a guest, if you're a visitor. But I just want to say that family means everything to God. It's all about loving, deferring, gracious. When I was 23, I began to see what my wife's family was like. They didn't show them to me up front. We got together at Thanksgiving and Christmas with my wife's family, and it was amazing. And it was just loud, and my family it was very small, and it was very quiet. My wife's family was loud. They're all loud talkers, and they kind of got close, close talkers. It's just awkward. I asked them to go away, but they didn't. And when we went to my wife's family, it was, I think it was the first Christmas. All the ladies were in the kitchen. There's probably 15, 18 of them, and they're cooking and doing all that they do, and all the guys are in the other room, and they're watching football and talking about non-important things. And I saw something, and I was like, why is this one lady over here talking to the men? Her name was Aunt Madge. She's gone on to be with Jesus, so it's okay. She didn't do anything to help. And after the meal was done, all the ladies are still, they're cleaning, and they're 
doing all their stuff, and the guys are still doing nothing off to the side. But the dynamic was Aunt Madge was still off to the side doing nothing. And this went on for eight, eight, nine, ten, twelve years. And every single family gathering, Aunt Madge did nothing but sit. And finally, my mother-in-law, Tessie, an amazing woman, went over and lit her up at a family gathering. It was so wonderful. <laughs> Why don't you help? Everybody, and I mean, it's just my mother-in-law, God, she's with Jesus too. Just, it was like a Roman candle going off. And Aunt Madge, oh, my timer says I'm done. Aunt Madge answer to why she wasn't helping. She said, I don't do anything at home. Why should I have to do something here? <laughs> Big points for honesty. <laughs> Big points for honesty. It was funny. I was laughing. The ladies weren't laughing. <laughs> In the family, everybody has a place. Everybody has a function. It's not right that people are sitting off to the side, not knowing what to do, dis disengaged, detached. So Jesus wants you planted in a family. What's your place in this family? What does God have for you? Maybe it's coming and seeing Jeremy and Diana and say, hey, I want to do this. And if it, it might be like me. They don't want me to sing. Maybe you want to sing. It's like American Idol, like who told you you could sing? I used to laugh at that. But uh, am I about helping and serving and being a blessing? Because heaven gets along beautifully. And Jesus came that we would have heaven on earth in a family setting called the Church of Jesus Christ. What's your place? Where are you planted in this family? It is Jesus' heart that it would look like something. It would be find our place, loving, deferring, expressing life. Amen? Amen. Can I have everyone stand up, please? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here to make heaven real to us. That we would find our place with you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that your desire is to bless, to encourage, to lift up. So I pray in the days and weeks to come, Lord, that this place, this family here, would be a planting of the Lord. The people would find one another. That no one would ever walk out feeling like they weren't touched, they weren't noticed. But I thank you, Jesus, that like the widow with the two copper coins, you see everything. And you bring the lonely into families that they would be planted and blessed to find life. I thank you that your eyes are on the widow and the orphan, those who are separated and looking for their place. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that this would be a place with a lonely, fine family. This morning, if you have a, a need in your life, I want to encourage you to come up and have people pray for you. If it's a physical ailment, 
there's a heart of pain. And you feel lonely, you feel discouraged. So I ask you to be brave this morning and come forward and have somebody pray for you. To impart strength into you. To impart heaven's health into you. Don't just turn around and, and walk out the door and say, well, we missed it this morning. I'm leaving the same. Jesus' heart is that no one would walk out unchanged. No one would walk out without feeling his heart. Holy Spirit, bless this house this morning. Bring healing, bring wholeness, bring life. Do what you do. That every person would feel a father's, the Father's embrace, the Father's heart. Move amongst your people, Holy Spirit. Bring wholeness. Dry tears this morning, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your kindness. That I might feel unlovely, but not with you. I'm loved with an everlasting love.